0: Okay, we're we're live. So, okay, first of all, I wanna say thank you all so much for tuning in to check out my premiere. So if you haven't seen it already, I really recommend watching the video of where I talk about the flow code. It's my introduction video on the flow types and on the flow state and how you can feed into and maintain a healthy state of flow for your personality type. I thought I'd make this live stream to discuss some of the, the questions that came up during the premiere and some of the, uh, to do a bit of a deep dive into, um, yeah, like the topics that we just discussed and, uh, to discuss how we can get more deeper understanding out of these things. Now, uh, first of all, uh, I'm going to go through the questions that came up. So. In the premiere, I was discussing uh, my flow code system, and this is my own approach to typology. So what I'm doing is I'm looking at typology and Jung's ideas and the cognitive functions, and I'm studying them based on uh, what puts a person in a state of motivation, confidence, energy, and inner security and comfort. I want to help all the 16 personalities understand how they can reach and maintain a flow state. And here's the first conclusion. Most people are not in a flow state. Most of the time, most of the people are in a state of autopilot. And that's the tragic realization that I made. We live in a very stress-oriented society that praises work and uh, status and money. And we are kind of addicted to these things. We're addicted to external rewards and motivations. Uh, We live in a society that is constantly telling us to work harder, do more, be more productive. Even if um, much of that productivity is kind of pointless I mean why do we produce things? why are we selling stuff? Why are we working so hard? What's the purpose of work and why are what are we seeking to get out of the work that we do? If you'd ask people if you pull people on if they think that their value is meaningful, most people would say that my work is <laughs> my work is not meaningful and that's a tragedy in itself I mean <laughs> yeah to have people that are doing work that isn't meaningful, to have people producing things that don't matter. Isn't that uh, pointless? In Eastern philosophy, they talk about the importance of right effort, right intention, right action, right lifestyle. And the word right is very important here. That's a central tenet in Buddhist philosophy. And that's, you do it for the right reasons. The same goes for the idea of Taoism. Taoism is sometimes misunderstood as inaction or non-action, but actually what it means is the right action. It means as little effort as possible in an important way as possible. So it means do what is meaningful and don't try to do things that aren't meaningful to you. Don't try to put energy or effort into things that you can't change or things that you can't do anything about. And that's equally true, you know, in these times when we've been hit by two different forms of uh, crisis. We've been hit by first the COVID pandemic and now we're hit by the news of the war in Ukraine. What I want to recommend to everyone that is struggling with these kind of events, it's uh, learning to focus on the things that you can control. That means learn to focus your attention and energy and your intentions and motivation on an area where you have power and where you can make a difference. That means if you're not going to do anything about the Ukraine crisis, if you're not going to take any specific action that can be positive or helpful in regards to it, try not to get too overwhelmed by the news and try not to get too preoccupied in it. What I say is uh, if you want to do something, find a constructive way to engage in activism or to help people. And if you're not going to do anything about it, and if you're too burdened by other things like your work or like other forms of nonprofit work or activism, uh, learn to prioritize and learn to prioritize things that are important and close to your heart and things that you can realistically make a difference about. So. What are some of the questions that came up in the discussion? Well, the first question is an interesting one. It's from Bethany, and she's doing a bit of a devil's advocate here. She says, if flow is just a gratifying state, why not just take drugs to achieve pleasure? Uh, Is it just because the the drugs aren't good enough? Is there something externally worthwhile about flow besides that it feels nice? Well, first of all, we don't really know the effects of drugs long term, And reactions to drugs are very complex and very varied. Second, we have a kind of a dependency to an external source to feed your flow. The drug is eventually going to expire and you're going to need a new kick. And um, yeah, that's not necessarily a sustainable outcome. And often uh, while we can have a positive response, sometimes to drugs, a lot of time over time, the effect of it, the positive effect diminishes the more you use it. Um, The third, what I'm seeing is drugs become often an unhealthy coping mechanism. Smoking can be a way of managing stress at work or conflicts in relationships or difficult situations. And instead of addressing the situation or the problem, a lot of the time the drug can become an escape, a way to prolong the problem and to prolong the issue. And what it does is it doesn't make you feel better about yourself. It just becomes a way to kind of endure and kind of hang on. Um, while it's happening. Now, is flow just a gratifying state? I'd say no. Flow is not. And the goal of flow is not just to feel good. And the fact is, you're not always going to feel good, you know, and you shouldn't always strive to feel constantly good. I would say it's very important with flow to not get greedy, you know, you don't want to constantly be happy and to constantly be excited and constantly be energized. The goal is, You want to find things to do that are inherently meaningful to you and things that feel and deeply connect with you, things that feel real. And the thing is, if you have that, you'll feel that it's important no matter what. If you feel that something is the right thing to do, you'll have the energy and effort to do it even if it's hard, even if it's difficult. Actually, flow helps us manage through difficult situations. Flow is not just about the feeling, but also about the results and outcome of that state. Because when you're in a state of flow, you're able to act and live in a higher cognitive capacity. You think smarter, you think faster, you make decisions more easily, and actions and tasks are done at your optimal peak performance. Jerome touches on the question of flow when he says that he tends to enter into flow when he's drunk. And I have an interesting explanation for this. And this is uh, actually what uh, much research has found is that one reason why we enjoy alcohol so much and we are so focused on alcohol is because when we are drinking, we are allowed to do things that we wouldn't normally do people tolerate and allow drunk people to act in a more free flow manner. When you are in a state, when you are drunk, when you're drinking, you're allowed to be more natural, you're allowed to be more open with yourself to be more positive, to be uh, more excited to live and to be more true to yourself. So that also often means alcohol becomes an excuse to allow yourself to be yourself. And that's the thing about it. It's not that the alcohol itself is necessarily influencing your brain and making you be like that it's that alcohol becomes an excuse that allows you to be like that that means you're only allowed to feel flow you're only allowed to be yourself when you're drinking and if you're not drunk you have to be like everyone else you have to be normal you have to be uh stiff and strict and serious and uh tense and you have to fit in and be like the mold, that you can never say anything different than anyone else. You have to play the normal role that, you know, like you're always playing, you know. And that's the sad thing. That's why I think alcohol is such a sought for drug, <laughs> because I know most people, they don't really like drinking. They don't like being hungover. They don't like, you know, anything about that, but they. Alcohol is the only time when they feel that they are allowed to be free and to be themselves. Michelle, I can't comment on why CSE also typed you the way you did. <laughs> or why t- talking with famous people typed you the way you did. Um, I'd ask them and uh, I'd ask them for a good explanation. Because when you're being typed by someone, I think you deserve a good explanation. You don't just want to get the label smacked in your face. You want to get the motivation and you want to have them make sense of their typing. Anthony Reed says there's a philosophical question here as well. If we are here for a reason and flow shows us what we're meant to do, then drugs aren't the proper route. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps uh, flow, the emotion of it, you know, is just meant to help us see ourselves. The truth is, when I'm in a state of flow, I feel more connected to myself. I feel that I know myself, I feel like I know what I'm doing. I feel like uh, I see myself clearly and I see my actions, my intentions and who I am. It's a deep sense of connectedness to self. And that's really nice. That's really good. That's really great to feel that you are in touch with yourself and to know that, you know, you are only yourself truly when you are in a state of flow. That's what I'm seeing. You're only truly 100% yourself when you're in a state of flow. When you're in stress, you're not being completely yourself. You're compromising to adapt to the environment. You're living a role and playing a character that will help you um, avoid a difficult situation or to avoid risk or to avoid uh, stress or criticism or problems. Or you're doing it just because you're looking for an external reward. You're looking for praise. You're looking for people to tell you what a nice job you did. I want to say thanks, Anthony, for becoming a member and uh, for supporting the channel. If you want to support the channel, there are many ways to do so. You can become a member on YouTube or you can check out Patreon. My Patreon members, they also get access to other forms of packages like coaching and other forms of support. So definitely check out patreon.com slash Eric if you want to support the channel and if you're interested in coaching. Now, I want to share with you some things. And that's uh, the kind of system that I built. So first of all, the terminology that I use, flow states. You enter into a flow state when you engage in your dominant personal traits or dominant cognitive function. Your personal type is what you do when you're motivated, secure, energized, passionate and confident. People who experience more flow are called assertive types. This is something I'm seeing consistently. Uh, The greater the flow, the more assertive the person becomes. Flow makes people more dominant, more confident and more strong and secure in their own body and in themselves and in what they believe in. Secondly, we have stress states. You experience stress when you engage in tasks and activities opposite to your personal type. For example, tasks related to your inferior function. These tasks, they are draining, they're negatively motivating, stressful and outside your comfort zone. People who do this more often, they're called turbulent types. These types are higher in neuroticism. That means they are more likely to second-guess themselves, they feel more uncertain, they doubt themselves more and they feel overall less consistent in their energy and motivation. It's not that these types cannot experience flow, but it's that flow is usually a fickle state for them. That means they can be in it for a few uh, moments or for a little bit, but a lot of time they uh, lose themselves in it or they lose touch with it because they become stressed or anxious or uh, worried and uh, they start second guessing themselves and their actions. Third, we have autopilot. You experience autopilot when you do things that cause you to lose energy and motivation, but still you do things that are comfortable and within your area of expertise or competence. People in a state of autopilot experience low consciousness and they're generally unaware of their own actions and behavior. If you know something well, it's too familiar for you, it's within your comfort zone, but it's boring, it's not interesting to you. Well, you're going to shut off. You're going to stop being mindful of what you're doing. You're going to do it, but you're going to do it in a repetitive or inattentive manner. People that are more in autopilot, they tend to be described as industrious or serious. They tend to have less humor. They tend to be less optimistic. They tend to be more perfectionistic. They tend to be more industrious. These kind of people are often tense. They're like in this kind of state where it's like you can tell visibly on their body language. It's more tense. It's more strict. It's more uh, cautious. It's more negative. It's more about self-protection. It's more about uh, uh, preserving comfort and avoiding risk and avoiding doing something stupid. Fourth, we have growth states. You experience growth when you do things that are outside your competence or comfort zone, but still, Things that are fascinating to you, things that matter to you, things that are meaningful. Every one of us has something they care about, but don't really dare to do. That's something that's really important to them, but that they don't really uh, think that they are good at. And that feels a bit outside their comfort zone. What I'm finding is it's really beneficial to do and challenge yourself and to try to do these things. However, if you're very serious or if you lack a sense of humor, it can be hard to do these things. It can... What I'm finding is uh, being in a state of growth means you're going to do a lot of mistakes. When you're learning new things, you mess up constantly. People that are new to a task or do things outside their comfort zone, they mess up more often. But if they can laugh about it and if they can maintain a positive attitude and still do it, and if they allow themselves to uh, enjoy the moment and let shut down their own perfectionism, they will experience more growth. Growth states are connected to the auxiliary function. The autopilot is considered connected to the tertiary function. Stress is connected to the inferior function. Flow is connected to the dominant function. Michael asks if falling in love induces flow. That's a good one. That's a really good one. That's a really interesting one. I'm curious what you all think. I'd say yes. And why does uh, love trigger flow? Um, In the right circumstances, I believe love is deeply connected to trust. I mean, the greater you trust another person, the greater the feeling of love that is possible, the greater the possibility of romance. Um, The the pattern I'm seeing is people that experience and feel love. They tend to have a more positive mindset and mindset is very connected to flow. Um, while. You have some things that you do that uh, you just do, you know, like your first four functions. There are functions that you just do all the time. You switch between these all the time. You're going to use all of them. You can have a relationship to all of them. The fifth, sixth, seventh and eighth function, they tend to represent your mindset. So how you see the world, how you see other people. Turns out you're not just a person doing things and taking actions. You're also a person that is doing things and taking actions and at the same time, having opinions about your worldview and your environment and about other people. So what I'm seeing is your opinions about other people and about the outer world, if it's a good place or a bad place, if uh, it's something important or if it's something boring or tedious, you know, all these kind of opinions, they tend to be represented by your fifth, sixth, seventh and eighth function and your relationship to these later four functions. When you experience love, and this is my first hypothesis. I'm going to come back to this one. I'm going to make a video about this later. I'm going to read about this because I think this is really worth thinking about. Well, I think when you experience love, you are more likely to act as if the world is a good place and as if other people matter. And that's going to make you do things that you wouldn't normally do. It's going to make you act beyond self-interest. And that's going to open you to feel inspiration and growth. So I think that should really help you experience challenge and to experience um, a higher state of not necessarily flow, but I would say self-transcendence and self-transcendence, that's a really fascinating topic that I'm going to come back to in the future. I'm going to continue to walk through my terminology here, and I'm going to talk about different forms of flow states. So what I'm finding is introversion and extroversion represents your comfort zone. Introverts prefer to do things slowly and carefully in a methodical and focused manner. Extroverts prefer to do things in a swift and effective manner. Extroversion is bottom up, triggered by external information, action in the outer world. Introversion, on the other hand, is top down. It's triggered by personal intentions or knowledge in the inner world. Introverts are made uncomfortable by having to go out into the real world and to engage other people. They don't like to be rushed to do things in a swift manner. They like to take their time to think about things. Extroverts, on the other hand, they're made uncomfortable by being asked to go inside and to engage their own thoughts, to slow down, uh, to do things more methodically. Uh, They one very bad at being slowed down or told to do things carefully because they wanna speed ahead and they wanna uh, connect things quickly and they wanna try new things and that's what makes them feel good. So it's the comfort for the extrovert. And it, if you're an extrovert and you wanna become more introverted, yeah, you, you're gonna to have to go outside your comfort zone to do so. Intuitive and sensory flow states. Intuitives, they enter into a state of flow when they engage in novel or unusual tasks, when they engage in pattern recognition or speculation, formulating theories or hypotheses, experimenting or testing new things. Sensory types, they enter into a state of flow when they engage in experience and familiar tasks, tasks that require attention to detail, tasks that require you to gather proof or evidence, and tasks that require you to define, exemplify and demonstrate things. Similar, these types are stressed when they are forced to do things that are opposite to what they would normally do. Intuitives find it hard to exemplify or demonstrate their theories and what ifs. They dislike going in detail on the patterns that they observe and to explain exactly what it, the connections they are making are. And The sensory types, they find it stressful to consider what ifs, to think about options, or to imagine different possible options or situations. I'm getting some questions here, so let's. Are you Anthony Reed? Are you thinking flow precedes confidence and assertiveness or do they happen together? I think uh, the relationship is kind of one and one. Assertive people experience flow more often and people that are in flow become more assertive. So the connection is basically one to one. It's basically uh, the same thing. Uh, we could say assertiveness uh, is uh, the base temperament of a person that allows them to experience long term and sustained flow. Uh, as I said before, turbulent people can experience flow, uh, but uh, the more turbulent they are, the long, the shorter it will last. So the greater the assertiveness, the greater the flow and so on. Doctors for Christ says, Would you say that love is the most important driving force between behind flow in general, that you enter flow when you're motivated by love for what you do? I mean, I think when you're in love, uh, it can feel like uh, everything is great and you feel like you're in flow and like you're dancing and everything is amazing it's there's definitely a connection there uh but i almost feel like love is bigger than flow like uh, uh, love is uh, something that goes beyond just personal state of greatness but it compasses uh, and goes beyond that almost another level And I also don't think it's necessarily the same thing, because um, I'm also seeing that uh, you can be in love and experience high sense of stress and uncertainty and doubt. Uh, So (laughs) while you might feel great sometimes in love, you'll also feel hurt, you'll also feel stressed and anxious. So it's not the same thing. It's definitely not the same thing. Feeling and thinking flow states. Feeling types, they enter into a state of flow when they engage in storytelling, studying characters, looking at context and investigating intention and nuance. (laughs) Investigating. Uh, So what I'm seeing here is feeling types, uh, they perceive the world as if it's a story uh, or a a movie or like an episode or a sitcom or uh, some grand play or a drama or theater. And so they tend to enjoy thinking about what are the intentions of each person I meet, what are their values, what's their personality like, what the kind of role are they playing to me, how are we all connected, so that's the kind of thought process that they enjoy. and. When you want to motivate a feeling type, you're going to say like you're going to want to focus on intention like, oh, do you want to make the world a better place? Do you want to change some things? Do you want to make a difference? Do you want to uh, solve injustices? Do you want to help people? Uh, these kind of motives that speak to a person's personality and identity, those are really triggering and positive for feeling types. Thinking types, they enter into a state of flow when they engage in mechanical tasks tasks that require logic and reasoning uh, by making result and consequence thinking and by performing cost benefit analysis. So what thinking types are motivated by that's being shown. uh, Okay, what's the challenge? What are the resources necessary? Uh, What are the talents that I need to have to achieve this? What are the steps I need to take to make it happen? And they're challenged by and motivated by competition. This is something really important. Competition is a strong motivator for a thinking type, but it's less of a motivator for a feeling type. If you want to motivate the feeling type, you want to create a collaborative environment where they can work together with other people. When you want to motivate a thinking type, you want to set up a hierarchy and you want to say, uh, it, the person that earns the highest score is going to get the best result. Inversely, feeling and thinking types, they are stressed by doing opposite things. Um, thinking types tend to find it very hard to collaborate with other people and tend to find it stressful to work with others. <laughs> thinking types tend to, um, dislike, um, uh, being motivated purely by intention or values <laughs> and tend to prefer to have a more concrete action plan. And thinking types tend to find it stressful to think about nuance uh, and feeling types. tend to find stressful to be asked to compete with others and to rate their own performance and to note down time and resources and costs and consequences i want to say thank you to michael for the ten dollar donation i really appreciate it Uh, doctors for christ doctors for christ asks storytelling looking at context doesn't this also help uh, introverted sensing and introverted intuition types entry into flow? Why is this more helpful for feeling types? <laughs> um, I would say I disagree there. Um, if you'd ask an ISTJ or an ESTJ uh, to engage in storytelling or to uh, talk about or discuss plot or uh, character, motive, uh, to reason about why people do certain things. Why is that person doing this? Why is that person doing that? Or what happened to me yesterday? Or uh, what was one nice moment that I can remember from my childhood? These are not things that they would enjoy talking about. These are not things that they would feel flow doing. You know, the, you can tell and ask an ISTJ to share a positive memory of uh, like uh, driving the car for the first time or things like that. and. Uh, Probably they're going to focus more on the mechanics of it. They're going to talk about oh, uh, how it felt, uh, like the driving in it, so the gear system and adjusting to it and the traffic that day. They, and they're going to focus on the mechanical aspects of it. They're not going to focus on their feelings when they were doing it or uh, what they were trying to prove to the driving instructor or uh, who they were driving with and how they uh, felt regarding to their parents, like, or what they were driving with and <laughs> uh, how that was working. That's going to be less important to them. And if they're going to talk about it, it's going to be more in a stressed sense of, oh, I didn't want them to think I was terrible or to look down on me or for what I was doing. Now let's talk about judging and perceiving. So what I'm finding with judging types is they tend to enter into a flow state, the longer they're able to work on a task without interruption or distraction. And when there is a clearly defined process or steps or rules to follow. Perceiving types tend to enter into a flow state when they're able to switch between different tasks and manage a varied and diverse set of goals and possibilities. So what I'm finding is, say you put a judging and perceiving type in the same organization, one of the biggest clashes is in terms of motivation. Uh, Judging types are going to ask there to be a leader, who's going to be in charge, who's going to plan it, who's going to execute it, who's going to participate, when are we going to do it? The perceiving types they're gonna be more focused on the free flow or collaborative okay let's uh whoever wants to or feels like it in the moment can do it and uh, um, uh if we don't feel like it that day we'll just do something completely different and uh, uh let's uh throw out some, a variety of different ideas that we could do and uh let's just see what we feel like on that time so it's uh Perceiving types, they prefer adaptable and open environments. While judging types prefer to have a deterministic structure. That means to predict and know what's going to happen and who's going to make it happen and how it's going to work. So if you're a judging type, you probably have a certain set of things that you should be doing. And that's, for example, you should be talking with your boss or looking at how you can have more focus in your environment. Imagine you're easily distracted at work. How can you make sure that people don't distract you? How can you bargain for time to focus on your tasks? How can you make sure that there's not meetings constantly happening? And if you're a judging type and you like to have a plan, uh, you're probably going to want to negotiate that with your boss or with your colleagues. You want to make sure that there are clearly defined roles. Who's going to do what and when are they going to do it? They're going to want to make sure that there's an organizational structure here. When you're a perceiving type, you're probably going to want to talk about having the room to come in a little bit earlier, or a little bit and a bit later when you feel like it and to have more open-ended work starts and ends. You're probably going to want to uh, have a more varied and diverse work. That means you can change activities throughout the day and sometimes work on one thing and sometimes work on another thing. Now, let's talk about cognitive flow states. So, like I alluded to before, the dominant function is your core flow function. It's your engine that propels you forward. You use this function when you feel confident, energized, motivated and comfortable. The dominant function is the most closely connected to your flow type. The auxiliary function, that's your growth function. You use this when you challenge and motivate yourself to do something that is outside your comfort zone, that's a little bit difficult for you, but that you feel is very, very important. This can be like that, uh, you know, I have to do this or the world is going to end or this is my calling or my passion. It can also be that dream project that you've been having, you know, starting that business that you but you don't know anything about starting a business or uh, going out and doing something really difficult, but you don't know how you're going to do it. The auxiliary function requires you to uh, have a mentor or uh, it often represents a mentor, (laughs) so it tends to take the archetypal role of the mentor. People that have a stronger auxiliary, they tend to have a more positive and humorous mindset, but they're also usually better at listening to advice and adjusting to feedback and to external information. People with a strong auxiliary, they are more responsive when they're doing things wrong and learning from that situation. So people with a strong auxiliary, they spend a lot more time not just challenging themselves, but also reflecting on their outcome and their results and how they can improve at the task. So their focus is constantly on that state of self-improvement, the true challenge. Now, let's see what comments and response we're getting here. First, uh, I'm glad you're enjoying it, Lady Lu. Glad to have you here. Uh, So Michael asks, is it good to try to be adaptable and be the opposite of what you are at least once in a while, be a P instead of a J? Okay. So if you're a perceiving type, you want to be adaptable as much as possible, but you definitely will have situations where you'll need to focus and where you'll need to have structure, or at least you might sometimes find yourself in environments that require you to have structure and organization. And if you engage in these situations, there is a condition to when you should be engaging in these situations. That's first of all, because you have to do it for work, (laughs) to pay your bills, uh, to survive in society and human world. You know, there is a degree of things that you're going to have to do in your life that you don't enjoy, and you're going to have some to build up some resilience so that you can endure those tasks. But as much as possible, try to do things the way you enjoy it most. Most people are spending way too much time compromising their boundaries and stressing themselves unnecessarily because they're trying to be perfect and they're trying to be great at everything. And they're trying to be as good at the dominant as they are good at the inferior function. And, you know, trying to be balanced, trying to be good at everything just means you're going to be mediocre at everything. If you don't allow yourself to specialize or to do what you love, you're not going to be able to be successful in your passion, because what I'm finding is your passion is hard and requires a lot of you. It requires a lot of your time and effort and intention and action. And so if you're constantly trying to be good at everything, you're not gonna prioritize. You're gonna burn yourself out. You're gonna drain yourself. You're not gonna have the energy to be successful in what you do. The second condition uh, to when you should be doing, judging things is perceiving type or vice versa is if it's a good form of challenge. So is it a challenge that will help you get forward in your goals or in your passion, then yes, do it. If it's going to help you definitely take the time to learn it and master it. Hi, Ruby, I'm glad you like my videos. Thanks everyone for liking and subscribing to the channel and for supporting me. Uh, Panda asks, is it possible to recognize and switch between functions to better handle tasks at hand? Well, What Carl Jung argues for that we all are supposed to be doing with the cognitive functions is we're supposed to learn to differentiate between and understand the unique role that each function serves to us. Every personality type has a unique response to each cognitive function, a unique relationship to it, and a unique way of using it and accessing it. How you experience introverted feeling is unique to your personality type. (laughs) So, Should you be switching between the functions to better handle tasks at hand? Well, you should definitely be developing cognitive flexibility, and that stems from understanding how you can use each cognitive function. How can you as an INTJ use extroverted intuition or introverted thinking, even though those are not supposed to be a part of your natural personnel type? Well, by differentiating them, by understanding their triggers and how they are triggered by you and how you develop them and how they represent themselves in your life, become more conscious and aware of each cognitive function in your life and what role it serves, what archetype it tends to take on. And that's why I'm presenting this list. That's why I'm talking about uh, the cognitive flow states to begin with, to help people understand okay, what function is my dominant function? And how does it help me get flow? What role does the auxiliary function serve? What role does the tertiary function serve? That is, when should I be using it? And for what reason should I be using the tertiary? And how does it manifest? How does the inferior function manifest? By understanding these things, and that's from trial and error, that's from experience, that's from uh, taking time to introspect and understand things and yourself, and your emotions. You're developing cognitive flexibility. You use the tertiary function when you're in a state of autopilot, doing an activity that does not motivate or energize you. This function requires a task to be easy and comfortable and within your skill or competence. People that use this function more are more serious and industrious and to be more perfectionistic. Actually, a lot of people are saying that. No, I actually do enjoy my tertiary function. And here's the thing. A lot of people can't tell the difference between intrinsic motivation and external motivation. The tertiary function is triggered by external motivation. So that means when people do their tertiary, they're always looking for positive praise they're always showing off their tertiary function. They're always going, hey, look, I'm doing the tertiary. And they're always trying to get everyone's approval. Hey, everyone, do you like my tertiary function? Hey, everyone, do you agree with my tertiary function? Do you think my tertiary function is good? Uh, When you use the tertiary, you're always looking for external praise and validation to support it because you don't personally find it meaningful. If you actually enjoyed it and if you actually valued it, You wouldn't be constantly showing it off to other people. You'd be just doing it for yourself because you enjoyed it. But what I'm finding is it's often the other way around. Uh, We engage in the tertiary function for similar reasons to why we engage in the inferior function because we're trying to present a perfect face to the world. We're trying to avoid criticism. The ENFP that goes into extroverted thinking to show that, hey, I can be focused and industrious and ambitious the INFJ that goes, hey, I can be smart and critical and analytical. All these types, they're constantly trying to go into their tertiary because they are kind of trying to cover their weakness. They're kind of trying to peacock (laughs) they're kind of trying to um, uh, look like they're good at something because they're afraid of criticism. They're afraid of people telling you them that they suck. They're afraid of uh, being uh, uh, hurt by other people. And it's kind of a safety mechanism. Then we have the inferior function, and you use the inferior function when you're stressed or focused on external motivation. So here's the relationship here. The more stressed you are, the more likely that you're going to use the inferior function. And secondly, the more you use your inferior function, the more stressed you're going to become over time. Actually, everyone can use their inferior function and use it all the time, but it's going to hit a level. You're going to hit a peak when it becomes really stressful and taxing and draining for you. And up until that point, you know, like everyone has that sweet spot, you know, like, uh, there is a level of stress resilience, uh, to which we can endure a task without it bothering us. So what I'm finding out here is, uh, you know, INFJs can say that they have areas of extroverted sensing that they enjoy. And um, they can enjoy, or rather, they can be fine with extroverted sensing up until a certain point. And so there is a certain extent to which you should be using your inferior function to the extent where it brings you relaxation and helps you manage stress. A low use and a daily use and a correct use of your inferior function can help stave off stress too much of this inferior function. And you're going to feel stress and you're going to hit the boundary and you're going to uh, become anxious and it's going to take you over. Lady Lu asks, when you say perceiving type, I'm curious where you put IXXP and IXXA. Uh, so when I say perceiving type, I mean perceiving type. Uh, I'm not talking about Jung's definition of rational or irrational here. I'm talking about perceiving versus judging in the myers Briggsian sense. So. I'm talking about and I'm seeing at scale that INFPs and INTPs are more like perceiving types and that INTJs and INFJs are more like judging types. And so what I'm saying goes for and applies to the basic MBTI types. So I'm not doing the socionics thing of flipping him. I'm sticking to the Myers-Briggs base here of judging and perceiving. Silly Bean says, Hey, I think you're great. Your videos have helped me a lot. I'm glad to hear it, Silly Bean. I appreciate it. Ruby asks, What do I do for work? So, I'm a programmer. Uh, I build websites in WordPress uh, for a marketing company. Uh, I have a 40 hour job, so I'm doing this on my free time, on my weekends, or in my evenings. Doctors for Christ. It's helpful to focus using the functions that come naturally to you and bring you flow energy so that you have the energy to do the less natural ones when they're needed. Yeah, yeah, indeed. What I'm finding is when you are more in a state of flow, you build up energy, you build up motivation, and that helps you do and endure difficult tasks more easily. So that's actually something very important. Here's some way uh, I hacked my own motivation. So. In the past, I would often find myself full of shoots, I should be making more videos, I should be doing this, I should be going more, uh, doing more exercise, I should be reading more. And, uh, you know, I'd push myself to do things that were very tough or difficult for me, even though I was really tired, and really drained and really exhausted from work or from, yeah, having a full time job and having so much on my shoulders. Uh, what I'm learning now is the importance of taking care of and nurturing myself and so what i'm doing is i'm making sure to take care of myself so that means i go out and i do things that put me in a state of inspiration that give me energy that motivate me so if i'm tired instead of trying to do more work i take time to get rest to meditate to do yoga to go for walks to call up a friend and to have a good conversation all these things they stimulate me and get me energy and When I come home from doing that or when I come back from it, I feel more recharged and I feel more energized. And that means there is no problem. I can do the cleaning, I can do the cooking, I can do the chores, I can do the work, and I can do it with passion and energy because I have built up that energy and that motivation that allows me to get through work. Michael Hinault asks, what's the biggest function struggle which INTJs have? that varies on the INTJ. Really, it does. Uh, INTJs that are very serious, uh, that they can become in the grip of the tertiary function, they can find themselves in a loop. And I will say probably the loop is the most common function issue in the world. Loops are more common than almost anything else I'm seeing. People are constantly getting into loops because I think The third year in the autopilot seems to be the prevalent problem of today's society. So the autopilot is almost a bigger problem than stress. I think there is a connection there because the more stressed we are, the more likely we are to respond by going into a state of autopilot. People are kind of, they start out kind of ambitious and with high goals and high minds, you know, trying to do their best to fix their life and to create a good life, and then they're met with intense, overbearing, and overwhelming stress and that saps them of energy and it hits them, makes them hit the ground. Traumas in relationships, all those things, all those bad experiences, they put us in a state of autopilot and that that drives up the tertiary function. Because the tertiary function says, hey, I can help you cope through your stress. Just use me all the time and just do things that are easy and just do things that don't bother you and avoid your goals and uh, give up on your plans or your dreams or things like that. They're too taxing. You're never going to succeed anyways. Just do and use me and you're going to be fine. You know, you have probably something that's going to come easy for you, that's going to be easy for you to do. Uh, whenever you're stressed and you're gonna find yourself going back to that whenever you're stressed and that doesn't that's the general pattern i'm seeing you know like people will set goals and they're gonna want to do things uh, but then it's gonna feel too difficult at some point they're gonna run out of steam or energy or motivation and then they're gonna go back to their old loops their old patterns just because they're familiar just because they're comfortable not because they're nice not because they're enjoyable because they're not but just because they're easy Panda asks, as an INFP, I could have a different dominant function than an INFP person. No, uh, if you're an INFP, your dominant function is introverted feeling. All INFPs share the same dominant function, that's introverted feeling. However, if you don't have introverted feeling as your dominant function, as your flow function, you're probably not an INFP. So what I'm seeing is there's certainly a degree of people that are mistyped that mistype because they are stressed, because they are stuck, because they are in a rut, or because they are uh, like trying to serve a role or try to put up a character or a front to the world that is a certain way. And so certainly there are mistyped INFPs, INFJs, ISTJs, mistyped people of all types, you know, and the more you're in flow, the more likely that you're going to type accurately. But the less you're in flow, the more likely you're going to be mistyped. If you want to type yourself, the core advice I give is form a flow hypothesis. Okay, I'm an INFP. What I'm going to do then is I'm going to challenge myself to do art, to read, to engage in storytelling to engage in introspection, meditation and actions that help me develop my introverted feeling. I'm going to reflect on my feelings, the nuances of my feelings. I'm going to daydream and I'm going to build up complicated and intricate daydreams about my life and about who I am. I'm going to build up a strong sense of my character and identity. And I'm gonna see if that helps me. I'm gonna see if that gives me energy. I'm gonna see if that motivates me. Try to do that for a week, a month. Try to consistently do that and see how that affects you. If it makes you feel better, if it makes you feel good, if it makes you feel comfortable, if you find yourself becoming more confident when you do it, it's your flow function. Silly Breen, it's great that you can have a job and do this. I'm glad you appreciate it. Um, It's certainly a tough balance to work and to do this, but I'm also uh, enjoying it. I'm also getting a very variety of things and uh, challenges, and I'm also learning a lot of things from it. So, yeah, it's about really learning to balance and prioritize. Uh, I can work up to 60 to 70 hours a week, and if I enjoy it, it's great and it's awesome, it feels good. But if I start pushing myself, what happens is I become sleepy and tired. And I noticed that in my past videos throughout the past year, I noticed that I was pushing myself too hard, working myself too much, trying to take on more than I could handle. And I noticed that the quality of my videos was and went down because of it. So now I'm making sure to really stay rested and stay fresh and to stay good in what I do and to do it the right way in a way that makes me feel happy. Now, I see most people, they talk about their first four functions, but we should be talking about the fifth, sixth, seventh and eighth function because they're important. Often the fifth, sixth, seventh and eighth function, they are represented by your mindset, your worldview. So if the first four functions represent how you see yourself as an individual, the later four represent how you see the world around you. So imagine you're a character, you're an individual in a world. What does that world look like? You can understand how that world is organized and how you see that world by studying the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth function. What we know today is people are not rational. That means how we see the world is not actually as rational as we think it is. We project things onto our friends and relationships. We come up with, we have ideas about how the world is organized. We talk about and try to explain how life is or how people are. But often what we say that says more about us than about how things really are. So the fifth function, that's the inspirational function, something that gives you energy and inspiration from the outer world. It's the mystery of the unknown for the ENFP or the sanctity of the inner self for an I.E.S.F.J., The stronger your dominant function, the more inspiration you need in order to stay energized and on track. If you don't, you're going to burn out. This function is a vital component alongside auxiliary in inspiration and in growth. So here's an important point. The dominant function is your engine, it propels you forward. What does an engine need? It needs fuel, The fifth function is the fuel (laughs) source that keeps your engine burning. You know, when you have that fuel, you're gonna find yourself constantly pushing forward and having an infinite amount of energy to do so. When you don't have the fifth function with you, you're gonna find that you're trying to move forward, but that you're running out of steam. And this is something that I can even see happening to assertive types. Assertive types might be super confident, and super empowered and super, Uh, passionate, but at some point, they run out of steam. If their environment is really hostile, if uh, there is nothing that really fits with, resonates with them, if the world around them isn't using the right functions, if they're being thrown information that goes against their dominant function, their flow function, that doesn't align with it, uh, they're gonna run out of steam. And you can see that in assertive types. You know, they'll hit a point when it's like, They're just tired, they're just exhausted, they're just drained because they've been so confident, they've been so strong for such a long time, but they're not getting the response they need, and you need to set up a positive feedback loop. You need to engage and organize your environment, find friends that are intelligent, smart, and empathetic, people that build you up, empower you, and give you the right kind of feedback. Find a work or talk to your boss about your work and how it can be more organized around your needs. Think about ways to uh, use these functions and to as tools, as external sources of energy to help you stay on track. Say you're an extroverted intuitive, constantly making connections. You're going to need introverted intuitives around you to make sense of the things that you find out and discover. People that help you process and think of original explanations for the things that you're seeing. People that show you unique and original perspectives that make you go, huh, I've never thought about it like that before. And the same goes for every personnel type. You're going to need to rely on your inspirational otter to stay on track. Stephanie asks, can you make a video for INFPs about forming a flow hypothesis? That sounds like a great idea. Rochello, I don't even think about time anymore. Time is this, you know. I wake up at seven. I tend to go to bed around 10, 11. I'm a morning person. And so what I'm doing is, you know, my hours are my hours. That means I make the most. I live in the present and uh, I do what I do when I do it. And uh, I don't worry about the things I'm not able to do or the things that I can't have time for. You know, I focus on what I can do and how much time I do have. And I try to make the most of those hours and to just enjoy those, not to rush or pressure myself. And, uh, Yeah. That's important, I think, to not uh, worry about what you can't have. If you can't have the time, you know, like I used to be so like stressed about that. Oh, I wish I had more time to make videos, more time to do research, you know, uh, but I think you should treasure what you have and you should accept what you have. Now, Stephanie asks, how can I access your coaching services? If you want coaching, check out patreon.com slash I offer coaching to help people find their personality type. What I do is I help you find out for yourself who you are. So I'm not here to tell you or type you or say, you're like this, and this is my opinion, you have to believe it. And no, what I'm doing is I make you understand yourself. So my goal is to ask you questions to help you understand yourself. So my goal is just to guide you, not to tell you who you are, just that I trust with you, you're gonna find that out. Uh, So I just make sure I show you When you seem positive, when you seem excited, when you seem energetic, what you're saying, and when you say things that you don't really believe, I try to just listen and hear you and to show you what you're thinking and help you see yourself. Michael asks, uh, Do you still have your cat? Oh, sorry to say I don't. Um, So, uh, my ex and I split up. And uh, yeah, she got the cat. Oh, wow. Panda, thank you so much for that donation. That means so much to me. Um, It's so cool to hear that you've been watching me for years. Thank you for the donation and I appreciate you. Let's talk about the sixth function. And I believe that the sixth function is tied to your sense of self-worth. People that accept themselves for who they are, people that love themselves, people that trust themselves, people that speak kindly to themselves, they tend to have a stronger grasp of the sixth function. This is what I'm seeing, you know, because you need that in order to access the gifts of the sixth function. If you are mean to yourself, if you're always criticizing yourself, if you're always looking for faults in yourself, if you're always looking at yourself negatively, comparing yourself to other people, you're going to struggle to access the sixth function. Because people that don't like themselves don't treat themselves well. The less you like yourself, the worse you treat yourself. And the sixth function is kind of what you use for self care. The sixth function is typically something that's going to help you uh, to uh, stay on track and to stay motivated and to stay positive. It's kind of like a reward. It's, uh, you know, like you have the whip and you have the carrot. The sixth function is the carrot. And most people, they respond very poorly to the carrot. They don't know how to motivate themselves, how to support themselves. You know, they will set hard challenges for themselves and they'll make progress on the challenges, but they're never going to compliment themselves. Nothing they do is enough, you know, even if you're making progress, you're not making it fast enough, you're not doing it well enough. And so you're never motivating yourself. And if you're not motivating yourself, if you're not allowing yourself to care you're not allowing yourself to be loved. And so I think the sixth function represents your capacity to be loved. So if you want to have and to feel loved and to accept love from other people and from yourself, you're going to need to work on this specific function. I also find that this function is the secret ingredient of any flow state. And without it, your flow will eventually sizzle out. Perhaps this function connects to the question of love that we discussed earlier. Um, I'd say there is a connection there. Uh, I don't know exactly what the connection is uh but i think that's something we're gonna have to hammer out with more research and more discussion so if you have any thoughts on it feel free to share your comments and your ideas and opinions Uh, i at least believe there is a relationship there i think there is a connection no bethany i don't have a cat (laughs) but i was in the park today and i was reading in the park and Uh, I was sitting at this place where all the dogs are, where all the dog owners come. So I had like dogs around me everywhere and they were constantly coming up to me. (laughs) So that's nice. Uh, Still have cats. I could easily get a cat in the future. So the seventh function is the boundaries function. So you can see it has a strong relationship to the sixth function. They're connected. Uh, That negative self-dialogue, I think, often comes from uh, poor use of the boundaries function. What I'm finding is people use the seventh function to, uh, in a sense, set boundaries and to speak up for themselves and to stand up for themselves. You know, we need this function in order to mark our boundaries when other people tread on them. So if other people are being bad to you or if you're being mistreated or if people at work aren't giving you credit, you know, you need this function. You need to learn to use it. You need to learn to be aggressive in the right situations. You know, everyone needs to learn the capacity to be aggressive and to speak out and say what's important and to mark your boundaries. Otherwise, and this is what I'm seeing is if people, if you don't have this often, you're going to put this on yourself instead. Every time people are pushing your boundaries, every time people are treading on you or bullying you or using you, you're gonna blame yourself. You're gonna make it your problem. Oh, I'm so bad because I'm not able to keep up with all the work that people are putting on me. I should be working harder and I should be more effective so I could do everything they want me to do. Or it can be Yeah, people are so mean to me, it must be because I'm a terrible person, it must be because I need to work on myself more, it must be because I'm, you know, uh, uh, not a good person, you know, Uh, people that don't set boundaries, they often internalize negativity from others, and they keep hearing it in their own head, you know, a lot of people, they think that they're thinking, but often what they're doing is they're just repeating what I've been told by other people in the past. So if you experience negativity from others or criticism from others, you have a habit of taking that on and uh, putting that on yourself in dark moments or when you're tired or stressed. So try not to do that. Of course, there is a room and space to be self-critical and to think about your behaviors and your decisions. To, uh, but what you wanna look at is not uh, my Uh, doing what other people ask of me, am I being what everyone else expects from me, but am I being what I expect from myself? Do I want to do these things? And are these tasks reasonable? Are these things fair? And if you speak out for yourself and you set boundaries, you're gonna find that you're worry less about what other people think. If you set boundaries, it's gonna be easier to uh, set up walls against uh, unhealthy criticism, and unhealthy pressure from the other world. Finally, the control function. The control function represents your capacity for self-control and your ability to monitor your own actions and behavior. It represents shoulds and musts and actions you tell yourself are necessary to take, even if they're boring or draining. Therefore, this function can drive you into a state of autopilot similar to the tertiary function. So there's a connection between this function and autopilot. Similarly to how the boundaries function, the seventh function is connected to stress, because using this function, constantly being aggressive and constantly being like that, of course, it's going to stress you out. So the eighth function, it puts you in a state of autopilot, you know, you're constantly doing shoulds, you have all these responsibilities on your shoulders, duties and chores that you don't like to do, that drain you, that suck energy from you, but that you're constantly doing because you feel like you constantly have to do it. But it also can be a healthy thing because sometimes you need to do chores and sometimes you need to engage in routines. The thing is, you're gonna have to make sure that these things don't take over your life. <laughs> life is too short to spend in the autopilot. In autopilot, everything takes so much time, you know, life treads by so slowly, you know, and every moment feels so long and draining and boring and mundane. When you're on autopilot, everything feels boring over time. You've become constantly demotivated, nothing matters. There's no point to anything. You know, that state of nihilism that people fall into. That's the autopilot. And when you feel that way, that's when it's time for a challenge. Stephanie Brown, I was typed as an ENFP. I took your test and I found out ENFJ. Wow, what a world of difference, spot on. Thank you so much. I'm glad your test, my test helped you. And I would say, just go out and test it. Go out and see how that fits you. If you're an ENFJ, go out and find out what the ENFJs enjoy. Study other ENFJs and what they do to feel good about themselves and try to copy that and to embody that yourself. Good luck. And now I wanna start running off the stream. Thank you to everyone that watch the premiere. And if you didn't watch the premiere, you can always go back and look back after this video. Uh, And yeah, just thank you so much to everyone who donated, to everyone who supported the channel. Uh, If you want to keep the discussion going, I do have a community. So I'll share a link in the chat. You can use this link. to join my Discord community. And Discord is a place where you can engage in discussion with all kinds of personality types about flow and about uh, the personality types and about everything around it. So yeah, and I'm of course active there as well. So you can ask me anything. <laughs> so yeah, thank you everyone. And uh, have a great day, great evening or great morning.